0: Well, Good morning. Welcome uh, to the services. We appreciate your presence very much. Yesterday we were up here doing a planning session. I wanted to start this morning by saying thank you to everyone and came and was a part of that. We had a very big crowd. We had we got a lot of stuff accomplished and uh, was really happy with uh, everything that's uh, that we decided to do and you'll find out more of that. I think Matt's going to talk about that here in a little bit uh, during announcements and uh, We've got a lot of work to do between now and the Brotherhood meeting, which is, uh, we'll be worshiping in the Embassy Suites two weeks from today. Let that sink in for a minute. Two weeks from today, it will all be over, and we'll be worshiping uh, our last worship service there on Sunday morning, so uh, still lots of uh, lots of fun, hard work in front of us, and then we planned out some stuff for the rest of the year yesterday, so uh uh, again, thanks to everyone that uh, that came. I thought we had a, a really good day and really, um, really good outcome. Thought we all worked hard. So we worked from about nine o'clock until about three o'clock yesterday afternoon. had a had a good uh, a good day's work. Um, wanted to talk to you a little bit about some stuff we uh, celebrated this last week. So this last week we celebrated the Fourth of July. We celebrated Independence Day, independence from the rule of a com- a country that colonized. This nation uh, early on, back in the 1700s, and I want to lay that story alongside a couple of other things from an Independence Day perspective, an Old Testament story that we're very familiar with, and then the story that we're here to worship about this morning—the story of Jesus and our independence over sin that He provided for us. So I've named the uh, I've I've named the sermon "Paradox of Freedom." Paradox is a big word, and I don't know that I understand it all. It's more of a psychology word than it is a word that we normally use. But things like freedom isn't really free—that's a kind of a paradox. Things like free from, but don't know what I'm free to. And we'll talk a little bit about that this morning because that's what I really wanted to. Fo- I want to focus on. And so, first of all, let's talk about what we just celebrated this week—the the, the uh, this independence. That we have, so there were seven major events. So first of all, fourteen was it? Fourteen ninety-two. There's a point about that one too. Uh, Christopher Columbus came and and he supposedly found the the Americas. There's competing stories today in history as to who really did it and who was here first. And you know, thousands of years before, hundreds of years before, whatever. Just let's just say it was Christopher Columbus. About fourteen ninety-two, the story really gets started. Early early around the fifteen hundreds. The Americas are found, and, and all of the people over in Europe, all the different countries, Spain and Portugal and Britain, and all of them decide, man, there's a lot of riches over in America. And they start making long-term plans to come over and colonize uh, what we now consider the United States, but all of the Americans. In about 1600, they, they, they try, and they send people over, and it doesn't work, and they have failed uh, colonization attempts. And then it starts in about the the late 1600s, early 1700s to get some momentum. And there's actually 13 colonies that are formed along our eastern seaboard of what we now consider the United States. But there's, a, there's what uh, I've titled seven events, seven kind of major events that happened to these early colonists that give them this idea that we need to uh, independently rule ourselves rather than be ruled by someone across the ocean and they're all um, uh, events that you're probably aware of. There's the Stamp Act in March of 1965, and that's where Britain decides to tax, start taxing a lot of the uh, transactions that are happening in the United States. Then there's the Townsend uh, Act, and the Townsend is specifically more tax on the imports, the stuff that's coming from Britain. It's going to get taxed even more. And so you've heard of taxation without representation. That was what was going on. They were just being told they were gonna be taxed and they were sending this money back to Britain, but they didn't have seats in Parliament. They didn't have a voice on what was happening. It was just uh, taxation without representation. Then there's what's known as the Boston Massacre and that's pictured here. Um, To be honest with you, probably blown out of proportion. I think two people were actually killed in that event, but it became a rally cry for the colonists that says, hey, these, uh, and the British did open fire um, after being pelted with rocks and some other stuff. But anyway, the Boston Massacre, it was written by, um, written up by actually Paul Revere wrote some articles on it that really infuriated the colonists and got the, the blood pressure pumping. The Boston Tea Party, everybody's probably familiar with that. You've heard about that. Some people called the Sons of Liberty, which you know several of our early leaders were actually members of this group of people called the Sons of Liberty. Sons of Liberty boarded three ships dressed uh, very rudimentary as Indians and threw 92,000 pounds of tea into the harbor in Boston Harbor. Well, that infuriated the British, so the British turned around and they... Uh, they uh, uh, put in place the Coercive Act where they shut down Boston Harbor and said your harbor is shut down until you pay us back for the 92,000 pounds of tea that you threw in the harbor. And then uh, comes uh, British General Thomas Gage British General Thomas Gage is in Boston. He decides he's going to head out to Lexington. He's going to try to capture Sam Adams and John Hancock. And he's heard of about a cache, a storage of weapons at Concord. So he's going to go capture these men and go up to Concord and get this um, cache of weapons. And that's where we have the story of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. He's the, and there's a poem about it. I've got a couple of verses about it, but there's there's this uh ride that Paul Revere and uh William uh Dawes. So this is William's path and this is Paul Revere's path. They go along the same path. They ultimately meet and they're going to warn Sam Adams and um the other uh Sam Adams and John Hancock and then on to Concord to make sure the stash is gone before the the uh, British army gets there and they're successful. They don't get the cash and they don't get the two men don't get captured. <clears throat> and there's the poem that Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in 1960 wrote. The first verse says, Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere on the 18th of April in 75. Hardly a man is now alive who remembers that famous day and year. So some hundred years later, nearly, he's writing this poem about the midnight ride of Paul Revere, which makes Paul Revere famous, and we all recognize him. And then they, uh, the British do something that I... As I read, I couldn't hardly believe because um, it, it, it really formulated the fate of the, independ- the War of Independence. They started attacking the coastal towns down south. At the time, the northern people were kind of in this rebellious mindset, but the south was like, hey, leave us alone. They're not bothering us. We're, we're doing okay. And then the British attacked some of the southern towns that unified the 13 colonies and they met at the Second Continental Congress and they drafted what we know as the Declaration of Independence. And the Declaration of Independence was um, adopted on July the 4th. It wasn't signed for a couple of days later, I think on the 9th or the 10th. It wasn't ratified and actually signed. So then we go to war and we fight a war for a number of years and we finally, uh, the war ends in uh, 1782 um, and then a year later, in seventeen eighty three actually over in Paris, we signed a treaty with Spain and france and um, the with Britain and uh, the United States of America is now free to reign so free from the british tyranny and the british British rule, and we were free to rule our companies, so we were free from the tyranny and the oppression, the taxation without representation. We can now have free speech and freed the right of religion and and a numerous other things. So that I just wanted to, I started thinking about that story, and I started thinking about freedom this week, and I started thinking about how free we are, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at a story in Exodus now. This is our second story of freedom. <clears throat> I'm going to have it up here. You can read along with me, but if, you, if you've got an app and you, you want a different version, you might... Uh, You might get it out. Uh, Exodus chapter 32, we're going to begin in verse number one. And this is the story of the children of Israel. They've been taken out of Egyptian bondage. They've crossed over the Red Sea and they're free on the other side. And Moses is called up on the mountain. So Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who... And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt! Exclamation point. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be the feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up early. We see that, or I see that, and I go, how? He just, they've just been through the plagues. They've seen the firstborn be killed. They've seen an Egyptian army chase them. They've seen the sea open up on dry, and them to cross across on dry land. They've seen a, an army follow in behind them and, and get enveloped into the water, and they're standing on the other side, and I go, How? Do you decide to make a a God out of gold? Well, I think God was a little bit astonished too because here's his response. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. That's important. They knew better. He had commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may have a great nation of you. So God is um, thinking seriously about killing all of the people of Israel, the people that he had promised all of these things to, and turning his attention to Moses and saying, "I'll I'll, I'll make a great nation out of you. And Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from the disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So this is an excellent definition, I think, of the paradox of freedom. they have been freed from something but they didn't know what they were free to. They didn't know what they were supposed to do with that freedom. They didn't have in their minds a vision and a plan of what that freedom meant for them. They didn't know where they were gonna go. They knew they were free, but they didn't know to what. In 1981, I graduated high school when I went to college as a freshman at Texas A&M. Free from mom and dad's rule free to I didn't really know and because I didn't really know I didn't focus I didn't have a plan I didn't have a path I didn't have a direction so guess what a year later I'm back in mom and daddy's rule because I'm back home because I didn't do too well out there on my own I didn't know what I was free to I thought I was free to play video games and not study and miss a class every now and then and And then Texas A&M and mom and dad decided that I wasn't free to do that anymore. (laughs) So freedom got taken away. A Couple of years later after spending a couple of summers and a couple of winters on the hot drive of a service station servicing cars, I decided I wanted something different for my life. That time I was free from the rule and I was free to go to A&M, get an engineering degree, and grow up and become a man had a different plan. These folks have been freed from something but they don't know what they're supposed to do with it. And so this morning I want to take that and I want to lay that those both those stories kind of alongside some freedoms that you and I have. I want us to understand what we've been freed from and what those freedoms bring us and maybe this afternoon in applications we can determine what we're going to physically do with some of those freedoms. We did that some yesterday. We talked about how we were going to make a difference in the community and in our own hearts and our own lives and we'll uh, we'll talk more about that hopefully. So, let's talk about what we're free from. Just like Paul Revere rode around saying the British are coming, the British are coming. I'm here to tell you that the devil is coming, the devil is here. The devil is on the earth. The devil has some powers and some controls. Now some of those have been limited by our savior thankfully. But the devil is here and he has some and he's working in the lives of every person that he can get into. So number 1, he in revelations he says he's the deceiver of the world. The devil lies to you. He lied to Eve. He lied to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He will lie to you. He's known as the great deceiver. Nothing he tells you will be the truth. But he's not only a liar, he's a deceiver. And a deceiver is somebody that lies very well. They twist what you believe to be the truth. And it sounds, or what you believe to, they twi- he twists a lie into something that's just enough you'll believe it to be the truth or he twists the truth in just enough of a way that it's no longer the truth. He works either way. He did that on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was a murderer from the beginning, John chapter 8 says. He's a roaring lion trying to eat you. He has the, the power of death, according to Hebrews chapter 2. He can disguise himself as good, according to Second Corinthians. He can blind your mind and keep you from seeing the light. He has cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil, according to Ephesians chapter six he 's powerful and we've got we 've got to know how to defend against him some more things he 's real some more things about the devil that you might need to know he attacks your identi I, your, he attacks the identity we 're going to talk a little bit about this in our uh, truth and um, Tolerance in a couple of weeks at the Brotherhood meeting. We're going to talk about this concept of identity. It's in the news everywhere. All the personal pronouns and all those issues. He attacks identity. In the very beginning, he said, Eve, you can be like a God. You won't be this person. You can be a God. Just go eat the fruit. Let me give you a new identity. You can be a God. Obviously, on the tempting of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, he he, he tries to change Jesus' identity two or three different times. He says, hey, if you're a god, just throw yourself from here. The angels will catch you. Hey, if you'll you'll, uh, worship me, I'll give you all of this. You can rule over all of this. You'll have the identity of a ruler of all these nations. He tries to make us think that we can be something that we're not. And he's working that hard in the United States right now. He'll misuse Scripture. He did that with the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration again. He used Scripture and he, he tried to twist the Scripture and Jesus responded, no, here's the truth. He's a counterfeiter. He focuses on Christians, not unbelievers. He's not working out there in the unbeliever world. He's got them. He's working on us. Now, here's the good thing. And this is something that I, uh, when I ran across this, I'm like, wow, that's, I don't know what I believe there, but that's comforting to me. I've almost believed that Satan was like God, that he could be everywhere, he could do everything, but in Job, it tells us he was roaming to and fro. He wasn't everywhere. He's not omnipresent. He can't be working on Yancey and working on Eddie and working on Kent all at the same time. Now, he does have helpers. He's got angels. So he does have a lot of help. But he's not omnipresent. He doesn't, he doesn't rule. He's not everywhere like um, God is. Now let's talk about this independence from this devil that we just talked about. It was um, prophesied from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 15 that Jesus was going to step on the serpent's head. It was bruise his, his heel, bruised the head of the serpent. Satan has this attempted overthrow. We're very familiar with it. It's in the Gospels. All four of the Gospels talk about how Jesus, or how the devil worked against Jesus. He enters into Judas's heart to betray the Lord. And we have the greatest battle of all time, and it talks about that in Hebrews chapter two and verse number 14. It says, "These children are people with physical bodies, so Jesus himself became like them and had the same experiences they had. Jesus did this so that by dying, he could destroy." the one who has the power of death, the devil. Jesus became like these people and died so that he could free them. They were like slaves all their lives because of their fear of death. So just like the children of Israel that were slaves in the, in the land of Egypt and were freed uh, into the, the um, land of milk and honey, into the promised land, we're just like that. We were slaves to this, to this fear of death and to sin, and Jesus saved us from that. In this spiritual war of independence, Satan's authority ended, and he was defeated. So let's talk about some freedoms that we have. So about some freedoms that we have in Christ, and I've got a long, a pretty long list here. There's probably ten or twelve things. So I'm going to go through them. Um, probably semi-rapidly. Again, So a lot of stuff you can study here. Number one, we are free from guilt. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1 says, is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We're free from shame. Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. We are free, to, we are free from God's wrath, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So just like Moses talked God out of the wrath that he had for the children of Israel when they built the uh, golden calf and worshiped it, Jesus has um, taken care of the the Lord's wrath for us. We've talked about this. We're free from the fear of death, um, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We 're free from the bondage of sin we have a freedom from the curse of the law so uh, the, the the old law in, in Galatians chapter uh, three it's really that whole chapter is talking about the old law and it 's talking about you know if if you want to get circumcised and go back and try to to take care and do everything that is in the old law, then you 're going back to slavery because the old law was slavery. <coughs> Jesus' new law, the New Testament, is love and mercy and charity and forgiveness. And so his his point here is you've been you've been redeemed from the curse of that old law. You've been a redeemed, You've been uh, you have freedom from Satan's dominion. We talked a little bit about that. We have a freedom to approach God. This is a this is a, a beautiful thing. We've already had a, pr- a couple of prayers this morning. We have the freedom to talk directly to our Creator. What a powerful tool to be used in our lives. We talked a little bit about this yesterday and how we can exemplify and how we can use prayer differently and fasting differently and other tools that we have to help us be closer to God. <clears throat> we have a freedom to relate to God as, he, as His children and Him as a, in, in our heir We've got, we've got an opportunity and we've got a freedom and we've got a right through Jesus. Freedom to take in spiritual blessings. Freedom to bring our concerns and requests to God. We talked a little bit about that. Freedom to, God, freedom to walk with God with, throughout our life. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Freedom to authentically love each other. Freedom to live out God's purpose in our life. And a couple that I wanted to spend a, stop down and spend a little bit of time. The first one is freedom to enter the gates of heaven. We didn't, we didn't have that direct path before. Jesus d- gave us a direct path through death to the resurrection to heaven. We've got that freedom, according to John chapter fourteen. It says, "In my house, in my Father's house, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also." He's gone. He's in heaven. It's prepared. It's being prepared. It's a, and we have that freedom. We also have a freedom <clears throat> from legalism. So again, and this is in Galatians chapter five, and he's talking about the old law. He says, "Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage." So we've got, and, and there's, there's even, there's more freedoms. I'm, these are just a few that I've, I've brought to your, to your attention this morning. <clears throat> we we have a freedom to. Observe certain days or not observe certain days. There's just all kinds of freedoms and liberties that Christ has brought for us. Here's the warning For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's what we've been called to. We've been called from sin. We've been called out of the devil's clutches. We've been called in freedom to love one another and not to return to that old life. I don't know when I got on stage. How long have I been talking, somebody? Time to shut it down? Okay. So the paradox of freedom. Hopefully um it, it was a good study for me it was it, i took the 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 stuff that we've been going through this week and <clears throat> i don't know how you chose to celebrate the 4th of July you know we had uh, we had the event at the house where all of you came over on Sunday that was what the 2nd or something like that on the 3rd we um we smoked some barbecue and some more of you came over and that was fun on the 4th, we kind of just recuperated because <laughs> we had had a couple, of, uh, a couple of big events. Sheila went and visited her dad. Well, I think everybody went and visited Pepe on except for me on uh, July the 4th. Um, we would sit on the back porch and fireworks would start going off. I don't know if you guys shot fireworks. Dad would say, there goes another $20. Mm-hmm. There goes another $20 which was the odds that, again, we had growing up because I thought it was cool. (laughs) And I'd go buy some fireworks, and he'd just sit there on the back of the truck. He'd enjoy them with me, but he'd go, here went another $5. So I don't know how you chose to enjoy the fourth. I chose to uh, spend some time reflecting on, on what freedom meant and this paradox of freedom and what we're free from and what we're free to. And then we spent quite a bit of time yesterday, not specifically talking about freedom and the paradox of freedom, but talking about what we were going to do with this freedom that Christ has brought us. What what do we want to be here at, at Anna Street? So I hope you found the, the lesson interesting. It's probably not a lesson that just says, Man, I, I want to get baptized today or I need to go before the church and confess something, and that's okay. But hopefully in your heart you've thought about Man, am I using the freedoms that God has given me, that Jesus died to give for to give me? How am I using those? Because as we've read in the Bible before, it's all going to get burned up someday. I've said this many times. It's not going to matter how much money I've got in my 401k. It's not going to ha- matter how much money we've got in the church swab investment account or my personal investment account or how many houses I have or how much land I've got or whatever it is that I've chosen to accumulate as assets here on this earth, not going to matter. He who dies with the most toys doesn't win. has nothing to do with the toys or the bumper sticker. It has to do with the heart, and it has to do with what we've done with the freedoms that Jesus has provided for us. I appreciate your time, appreciate your attention. Soldiers of Christ arise as we sing number 745.